0: This is Who Makes a Podcast, conversations with your favorite podcast hosts about who they are, the shows they make, and why they make them. I'm your host, Chris Cookley, and my guest today is Graham Brown. Graham is a world-traveling storyteller, author, entrepreneur, and founder of Pickle & Co., an award-winning, AI-powered, data-driven B2B podcast agency based in Singapore. Graham has spent years hosting, producing, and guesting on over 2,000 podcasts. He is the host of Podcast Guesting Pro, Podcast Maps, and the Asia Tech Podcast, as well as several others. We talk about the importance of storytelling, growth through failure, and of course, how to be a great guest on another podcast. Now, this is commonly believed to be the best way to achieve growth on your own podcast, and it was very insightful to hear Graham speak on a practical level about what you should be thinking about preparing for before guesting on other podcasts. There is a ton of really great, no-nonsense advice for every podcast creator in this episode. And so now, here is my conversation with Graham Brown. Graham, welcome to Who Makes a Podcast.
1: Chris, thank you very much. Thanks for the intro and your generosity inviting me here today.
0: Yeah, I had uh, not heard of you, honestly, before you or your team reached out to request to be on this podcast, but I'm very excited to have come across you and to, to listen to some, some of your podcasts, particularly the, the uh, podcast guesting pro I've been kind of tearing through that series. That's been really mm-hmm. interesting.
1: I'm really happy to be here. This is the great thing about podcasting. It's quite new, isn't it? So we're all kind of discovering each other.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of us out there, it seems like. Mm. Would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself and where you're from originally? I know you're based in Singapore now, but mm. how, did, how did you get there? Like, what's that, what's that story look like?
1: That's a long story, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the shortened version. Is uh, I am a storyteller by trade. I guess that's how I make my money. I help corporates particularly tell better stories to connect with audiences. A lot of that is about building thought leadership. And the typical clients that I work with are large corporates who are very conscious of their reputation. So companies in the consultancy space, uh, financial services, and uh, really for these companies, they're challenge is you know how do we humanize our brand how do we you know tell stories and engage audiences so that really that's what i do and that's how i help them but i'm not from that world i'm not a corporate by any stretch you know i i've been an entrepreneur for many years nearly 20 years and part of that journey is my first business i won't go into the details just to say it was a communications business started in the late 90s that business, sold that business. And then around about 2012, we had that conversation, me and my wife were sitting in the kitchen. What do we do now? Um, I didn't want to start another business as many people do when they sell a business. So we packed all our stuff into three suitcases, me, my wife and my son who was six at the time. And then we traveled the world for just over four years. Wow. Yeah, so and the, the part of that was that we ended up in Asia. Yeah. And Japan lived in Japan for a while out in Okinawa and then gravitated towards Singapore because part of it was at that time, 2018, living on a tropical Island. Here's the thing, Chris, it gets kind of tiring after a while. It's kind of boring. All those Instagram sunsets. If you're an entrepreneur, (laughs) you want to connect with people, you want to talk. So I started a podcast, Asia tech podcast in 2017 because Asia was really booming in terms of tech and startups. And I wanted to reach out to people all over Asia because it was, you know, Greenfield territory. And I started that in 2017 and then, long story short, by mid 2018, I realized actually this was a business and people were reaching out to me and saying, hey, how do I do that? How do I start a podcast? So I did 500 odd episodes and then a part of that was moving to Singapore to really capitalize on that interest at the time. So that's kind of a longer answer, but it's, there's a much longer story there. But that's kind of as short as I can get it right now. That's how I ended up in Singapore servicing
0: corporates. When you were traveling the world for that four years, how long would you stay in, in a particular place? Would you would you just like set up a, a base there for a while?
1: Yeah, you think you have to, Chris, because, you know, there are, there is a movement of people like the digital nomads who are very, you know, nomadic by name, right? So they right. would spend a week here, a week there. But when you're a tr- family, it's a little bit different. You had to get my son into school. So, for example, when we landed in the Canary Islands, which are off the west coast of Africa, but politically they're part of Spain. So geograph- geographically, they're like a mini Hawaii yep. off Africa. So we stayed there for 18 months. And that was part of it is that, you know, go somewhere, go with a goal, which is like, this is our goal here, live in this place for a specific amount of time. And when we've kind of achieved that goal and you feel like you want to move on, move on somewhere else. And if that somewhere else doesn't do it for you, then, you know, you're not committed, you can move on. So answer to your question is it depends, you know, when we found somewhere we wanted to live, we would live there for a year, year and a half. And then if it didn't work out, we'd be there two weeks so what were you doing in the canary islands for 18 months not a lot of business to be honest yeah i was uh i one of the reasons we moved to the canary islands obviously the lifestyle is very good it's spanish you know weather is amazing um it's very mañana mañana very relaxed do you speak spanish un poco see, si, but not enough to do an, a podcast you know
0: <laughs> i do not speak spanish so i
1: know but you know like when you live there you can you know in these sort of Canary Islands, you can imagine like Hawaii, there's a lot of tourists, you yep. can end up just in that bubble. So we made a point of like making friends with the Spanish, the local people, really, really nice people, you know, very warm, very chilled. And one of the reasons particularly we wanted to live on Lanzarote, which is one of the Canary Islands, the second biggest one was because of the Ironman triathlon that they have there every year. And it's a bit like they have the same sort of world championship in Kona in Hawaii, like this is their equivalent of it. They have a for the European athletes, they all go in the winter there to train because they've got facilities there. So it's an amazing place for that, you know, cycling, running, it's all there.
0: All right. So you're traveling around the world, you're you're taking some time after you sell your business, you land in Singapore eventually. Hmm. Were you listening to podcasts all along the way or did the podcasting kind of connect with you at that point?
1: A bit of both, yeah, yeah.
0: When did you first start listening to podcasts, I guess?
1: Oh, before there were podcasts. Okay. There's actually a podcast of me in 2014 somewhere on the internet. And I think it's now only, you know, it's sort of archived on YouTube somewhere because there was a video version of it. So I was recording podcasts in 2014, but even long before that, I was recording audio like this, like, you are me, Chris, now. Mm-hmm. I was doing this for my business in 2008, 2009. I was interviewing communications professionals. So we're talking about mobile telecommunications. Okay. And as you can imagine, it's a very global industry. So you've got guys up in Helsinki, Finland. You've got guys out in the West Coast. You've got guys down in South Africa. And talking to them and recording these podcasts... And it wasn't really called podcasts. I mean, people would know of them, but you didn't really have the support. You didn't have Spotify for sure back then.
0: Yeah, it was so
1: I was actively involved in it from an early stage and it really was a different market. You know, you didn't have a consumer market at all, apart from, you know, maybe a very hardcore group of listeners, but you certainly didn't have true crime or serial or, you know, those kind of business wars type podcasts back then.
0: Do you remember what the first podcast was that somebody else made that kind of caught your attention, and you were like, "This is this is really good," and I have to listen to every episode that comes out of this?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I remember they're probably still going now. Leo Laporte, Twit. and his crew.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I listened to Twit this week in tech.
1: Yeah, I just love the. You know, really, what I liked about Twit was. They would do different formats, but I seem to remember they had a format where there's like four of them. There was, you know, Leah LaPorte, Vorak, and then they had Kevin Rose, I think, at some stage.
0: Yeah, he was on there pretty early too, yeah. And there would be
1: like three or four of them. And what I really liked about it was they would bring a story. So, you know, this is a story about Twitter or the launch of whatever... And they would talk about it. So each guest would bring a story and then they say, why are we talking about this? And then they would kind of dive into it. I thought that was really interesting as a format and they would do it live as well. And what I really loved about it was firstly, it was just really casual conversation, but with people who knew their stuff, but also you saw that you could achieve quite high production values with, you know, a a non-professional setup. I mean, even though Leah Laporte would have had a good audio setup it wasn't you know we're not talking like mtv million dollar studios right right right. and i just love that i love that sort of it was professional yet amateur and i it sort of gave me this idea that wow i could do that
0: yeah he might be at that level now his his studio is pretty advanced these days but uh, yeah (laughs) he's he's been at it for a long time
1: oh he was one of the originals
0: what do you think it is about the format of podcast of, of audio and particularly maybe interview podcasts where, where a couple people are getting together and, and speaking and learning about each other. What, what is it about that that is attractive maybe to you and then also to listeners as a whole?
1: Oh. at the logical level, there is information. It's interesting. There's stories, you know, there is stuff to learn. And um, one of the great things about podcasting is it's narrow cast. So the traditional media model is broadcast, right? Which is how do we get as many people as possible to you know, achieve these listener figures, right? So in any radio station, the goal is to become broadcast to get as many people as possible. So therefore the subjects have to be broad. You have to have something for everybody. Yet with podcasting, it's narrow cast. So if you want to talk about podcasting, for example, it's meta, but it's very niche, right? And in the same way, if you want to talk about garden furniture or true crime or anything that you're really interested in, there is a podcast for that. And I think at that logical level, that's really attractive because you can't have that kind of specificity on mainstream media. So if I want to find out something very specific and that, that works really well in the business space as well, because. You know, there aren't a lot of outlets for business in, a, in an engaging way. I mean, press releases, trade magazines, etc., etc. Nobody reads this stuff. So I think at the logical level, that's very attractive. You can find information and content very specific to you. And it's not edited. It's not dumbed down. And then at the emotional level, I feel that the real attraction of podcasts is these are the conversations we don't have anymore. You know, even you and I, Chris, having a conversation for 60 minutes, 90 minutes. When was the last time you actually had a conversation with somebody like that? We don't do that, do we?
0: No, it's usually just when I'm recording a podcast. Right.
1: And even when you Zoom somebody, it's very transactional, isn't it? It's like, okay, all right, you do your thing, I do my thing, done. Those loose connections, even in business now, as we shift towards work from home, remote work, or work from anywhere those water cooler moments are disappearing. Right. And if you look at, you know, what happens when society people, we lose that human connection is we find it in other places. I mean, if you look at, for example, like the growth of Starbucks in the nineties, that is the direct result of people losing social space, right? You know, Starbucks was the third place. It wasn't the office. It wasn't the bar. It was a place people could hang out. And that's why it started in Seattle. You know, Seattle had in the 90s the highest rate of inbound migration in the US of all cities. So a lot of young people moving to Seattle. And I think we're seeing the same thing. That's the emotional appeal of podcast is that in a time where you have a number of macro factors, like, for example, remote work, so people aren't connecting as much as they are. The pandemic has obviously changed how we interact with people and maybe for a generation. And then on top of that, you have, you know, the datification of work in in many ways that we're losing these human elements in work and in interactions. All of this combines to the fact that we're losing this, what is naturally our birthright, this human connection. You know, as soon as we're born, we want to connect with other people. So I think at the emotional level, podcasts create connection. So even if you were just, just to close your eyes and listen to the sound of people talking to each other you know not even if you're interested in the subject that feeling you get that feeling of connection just from the sounds of people talking to each other and i think that is very appealing to people at an emotional level
0: do you feel like that was maybe something you were missing at the time when you started your podcast after having traveled around for so long is is that a reason that you uh we're looking to start creating one
1: yeah exactly that i mean i could have given it a post rationalization oh i'm doing it because of this but the reality is that you know if you think about the total addressable market for loneliness it's about seven billion people that that is the, the symptomatic of anybody in business is that if you're an entrepreneur for example you're starting out it's lonely You know, there are not a lot of people that understand what you're going through. And that is a great, you know, solution to that problem. Podcasting allows you to connect with people across time zones. You know, regardless of where they are, you can connect with people with similar interests. Like you and I are having this conversation now because we're both interested in podcasting, right? Yeah. And that's the beauty of it, is that you can create and find those tribes, join the dots with them. And so I feel that that's kind of, in many ways, it's it's a good reason to start a podcast because the back of that is that what a great way to build a business through podcasting. I mean, for me, connecting with people, I got to sit in front of some very senior decision makers, you know, who sat on very large budgets and, you know, one business, like in terms of business development, wow, I couldn't think of a better way of doing it is to get people on your podcast, talk to them, listen to their story, and then the chances of them becoming a client are so much higher as a result of that connection. You know, you could have had a, a coffee with that person and they would have forgotten about you, right? Yeah. But you know, in, in one case, I sat with a, a billionaire who owned an airline, still owns an airline, a very well-known billionaire. He's like a Mark Cuban character probably the equivalent of that in in asia this guy called tony fernandez and i sat with him and did the podcast with him and he became a client so i wondered like how many guys would be pitching him so back to your point about why starting it yeah i started it for those sort of intrinsic motivations which is you know i'm lonely i want to connect and then the extrinsic motivations are this is great for business yeah you know uh, there's a lot of people out there who want to connect as well
0: Hey, it's Chris. Can I jump in here for a minute and ask if you have thought about making your own podcast? If you have, you may have realized there's a lot more that goes into it than you might have thought. Don't worry. I have a gift for you. I want you to have my podcast quick start checklist. From what microphone and recording software you should use to how you host and distribute your show. I'm here to help with all of that and more. My podcast quick start checklist will walk you through everything you need to know to start your podcast. I'll show you what's actually important. To get my podcast quick start checklist, go to whomakesapodcast.com/start and tell me where to send it. Now let's get back to the episode. You have done according to your website Something like two thousand podcast episodes between hosting, being a guest, producing podcasts, who is one of the people that you have been most excited to share a podcast episode with, either somebody you spoke with on one of your podcasts or maybe you were a guest on their podcast would would it be this the asia c e o billionaire or or is there somebody else?
1: Yeah, that was a good one. And that was a good one because it had all that kind of tension of not happening. I met this chap. I met Tony Fernandez by accident in a Hawker Center. Hawker Center is like, a, you know, this open air food court, very typical in Asia. And I bumped into him by accident, found out who he was. I didn't recognize him you know when you see people out of context you, you normally you see somebody on tv and then when they're there he don't recognize this person yeah, so he's right? just
0: walking around in the market
1: yeah with his wife yeah. nice yeah and like i was with my friend and like we were sitting at a table and he there were like two table two seats left and he said can we sit there I said sure i moved my bag and they sat down and we just got chatting away and uh it was funny because he asked my friend, what do you do? And my friend makes medical devices. He started showing him this pair of these the sort of wearable uh, hearing aids. They look like, uh, it's just a pair of glasses, right? With these sort of hearing aids built into them. Mm-hmm. And he asked me and I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I've just moved to Singapore. I'm setting up a podcast studio, blah, blah, blah. He was asking about podcasts. And then I turned to him and said, you know, what do you do? And he said, I own an airline. <laughs> and, it was like, hey. and, I said, and he was laughing because he he knew... And uh, he kind of enjoyed the anonymity of it and we were yeah, chatting yeah. and that was the interesting thing is like, I had an hour with this guy who's a billionaire, well known, and you could see all the kind of people circling around the table, knew who he was, you know, opportunist, maybe wanted to chat with him, get a photo, a selfie and so on. And then when the hour came up, his, you know, his assistant sort of came up and tapped him on the shoulder and, you know, his, his jet was waiting at the, the airport he had to go. And that was it. It was like, okay, now this is this is it now, the moment of truth, Graham. What are you gonna do? Because you might never see this guy again. And I was, you know, I had a startup, and you can imagine the pressure to get clients or raise money. So I, I could have gone in and said, Hey, I want you to invest in my business. You know, can I pitch you or you know, want to sell you something? So that was the moment of truth. And I just went in and said, Hey, Tony, I want to do a podcast with you. And he said, Sure. And he gave me his WhatsApp number. And then, you know, a few months later, we were there in their offices doing their podcast. And I just think, I want to think back at that time, it's like, wow, that could have played out so differently. You know, I could have tried to pitch him, you know, here's my pitch deck. Right. It's like, okay, you know, send it to my guy, my analyst, he'll have a look at it. Yeah. Or I could have tried to pitch him in, I want to sell you my services and, you know, join the line. But it was like, let's do a podcast together. And in fact, that worked out because... When we did that podcast together, the first thing he said when he came into the room was, I've just got one request. And I thought it was going to be rescheduled because we had so many kind of schedule bumps at that time that he said, "Um, I want to start a podcast business. It was like, well, you're in the right place, Tony. So I just think back to that. And, you know, okay, the, the interview is there. I mean, it's on, you know, it's on YouTube as well. So you can see it you know, all the audio and the video are there. And it's kind of the, the great thing is it's going to be there for another 10 years as well. So it's a moment I'm very proud of because, you know, it so nearly didn't happen, but now it's there, it, it can't go away, which is what I think the beauty of the podcast It's there forever. Like a coffee meeting would have disappeared or, you know, a random bump into a guy at an event, forget about it.
0: And I will link to that video in my show notes.
1: Hmm. Yeah
0: check it out and I would say
1: interesting thing is like watch the video if you see the audio, is I mean listen to the audio that's fine but watch the video you'll see the body language it's very casual and that's what I really like about it because we were sitting in right opposite each other in the same room and that's like really engaging that's authentic
0: all right so you had a, an interview with Tony you had a, a podcast episode with him what was one of the big takeaways that you got from that conversation you're obviously you're speaking with somebody who has accomplished a ton sounds like mm-hmm. you had a decent amount of time with him both in the market and on the uh, and on the episode what's something that you learned that maybe you would not have been able to learn otherwise
1: when you're in a podcast and you're a host that you bring a lot to the table why do does this billionaire want to be on a podcast when he can do any media that he'd want get any media and i realise this because he can tell his story in his words and in fact for him it's probably quite liberating i think that's the power of a podcast and certainly something a host can bring to the table because there's no other way that you can do that in an authentic fashion right you can Tell your story without handlers, without editing. You know, okay, there's editing in all podcasts, but I mean editing the actual context, if you like, of the podcast. And you're not at the mercy of somebody else's agenda. And that was like a real surprise. I thought, wow, that really, you know, points to the potential power of a podcast. You know, it's not an interview. It's a conversation. And it's, you know, it's not traditional media. This helps us see the real human side to these people. And I think for them that's what they're seeing
0: Graham, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Oh. All right. There you are. <laughs> I think you cut out for a second there. I have talked to a number of people who make podcasts at this point for this show. Usually everybody just has one podcast that they're that they're making, but you've made a lot of different podcasts in the past. How many different podcasts? podcast not not episodes but just shows how many different podcast shows have you made
1: hmm. uh, for myself probably five or six okay and then for clients you know a, a factor of that
0: are how many of those are still active that you're making yourself
1: i tend to do podcasts as projects, so i would do you know i'd go into a podcast and say i want to do 12 episodes and then okay. do it And then, you know, so generally each podcast will have a, you know, bookend Um, rather than sort of an ongoing thing. I would do a series or two series and then say, I want to push that out because I want to talk about these things, these keywords, Um, you know, maybe a podcast to support research, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, or like with podcast maps, it may be specifically about, you know, 30 to 40 key questions that people have about growing an audience, for example, and then leave it and then just, leave it there. And the growing the podcast pit is, you know, there are specific questions. We answer them in the podcast and it's done. And then I'll move on to the next project. That's how I do it. It's because, you know, when you're also working with clients and growing their podcast, all your energy goes into that.
0: Yeah. It's
1: a bit like being a chef, isn't it? When you're a chef, you probably, you focus on the kitchen. And then when you come home, you just kind of grab something in the fridge.
0: Yeah. Probably not wanting to cook a whole bunch when you get home.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, just order a takeout.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So for this conversation, you know, you have five or six different shows, like you said. for For this episode of my podcast, I think I'd like to focus primarily on your podcast guesting pro series. Hmm. I think that that could be of benefit to my listeners, my audience who may be trying to start their own podcast and grow their podcast through something like that. So why did you hmm. start your podcast, Podcast Guesting Pro? Was, was there something that you saw that needed to be addressed or what was, the, what was the reason for starting that?
1: I was growing the agency, the podcast agency at the time, working with consultancy clients, financial services. And as a byproduct of that, we had requests, whether it be from their guests or their hosts to appear on other podcasts. And there may be a number of different factors why, you know, for example, they may say, I want to be on a podcast because I want to promote my podcast. And what a great way to build an audience is to get on somebody else's podcast because they already have podcast listeners, right? That's what I've heard. Another reason is, you know, they, they actually want to do more and sometimes Corporates can only do one podcast episode a month, but some of the leaders, they want to get out there and do other things and reach new audiences. And I think the the reason why that started was initially it was a favour offered to corporate clients. And then we turned that into a service, which was Podcast Guesting Pro. And then we wanted to create the content to, to help people understand why podcast guesting was an option. And a lot of people were getting into podcasts and realizing actually it's a lot of work. And growing an audience was quite hard. It's getting a lot easier to produce podcasts now and a lot harder to promote podcasts. And therefore, you know, the cost of audience attention is increasing. Therefore, for a lot of people, it makes sense simply to do podcast guesting rather than start a podcast. And it's a great onboarding as well. If somebody wants to start a podcast, I say to them, try guesting for six months. You know, develop your content narrative, develop your stories, and develop, you know, sit in the other seat for a while to see what it's like to be a guest. You know, there are many different factors why podcast guesting is around now, but ultimately it all comes down to the the value of audiences and how hard it is now to build audiences.
0: What is one obvious benefit to being a guest on another podcast and maybe one not so obvious benefit?
1: One obvious benefit being you simply turn up. If you are having these conversations on a daily basis, then you know your shtick, you know what the pain points of your audience are. You can talk to those, lean into them. So you can just turn up. You don't have to set up all the logistics to re- do a recording. That's a pretty obvious benefit. You know, If you're good at this, you can just turn up, connect with the host, you know, create a conversation, done. Not so obvious benefit is practicing storytelling. I see every podcast as a stage and very much inspired by the work of stand-up comics. You know, you look at people like any stand-up comic, whether it's a modern one like uh, Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, or, you know, old stand-up comics like Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld. You know, those guys didn't get funny through talent or through personality. They, that, that was a part of it, but 90% of it was work and getting on stage, committing their material, facing rejection and getting feedback. And what we see, we see what's effortless, what's polished. And we look at that and think, oh, those guys are so talented. They're so good at what they do. But what we don't see is the fact that they have practiced thousands of times and faced thousands of audiences. And you know, those audiences could have been as small as three people. And face rejection. And so when I do podcast guesting and when I work with clients who get onto other people's podcasts, I say, look, practice the rule of 80-20, which is every podcast that you do, 80% of your material is stuff that is home base, if you like. It's the stuff you're very familiar with. Is that you've done, you know, many iterations and versions of your stories and so on. But then 20% try something new, try a different way of delivering a story. Different language, different punchline, whatever it may be. And then, you know, that host who's going to be different every time is going to give you different versions of feedback on that. You know, maybe the host doesn't respond, or maybe the host goes, wow, yeah. And gives you some perspective on that. You know, maybe they contextualize it a different way, and that helps you understand how everything fits together. So I think the non-obvious benefit is podcast guesting, because you're on stage, because you're in that moment of truth and facing rejection and you're vulnerable, is a fantastic way to get better at storytelling. And storytelling is the big force multiplier in all business. Because if you get better at storytelling, whether you're a consultant or whether you're a startup founder, whatever it may be, storytelling affects everything. It's the skill that shapes all the the direction of your outcomes upstream. So I that's what I feel people learn through podcast guesting and even through hosting as well, Chris, is that, you know, as you host, of course you listen to people, but you also practice your own stick, is that you get better at it. And the better you get at this, that affects everything within business. And people are not aware of that. And they do discover it along the journey.
0: I was going to ask you if anybody with a podcast could be a guest on another podcast. But now that you... The, the way that you explain that, I'm kind of wondering now, should anybody try to be a guest on a podcast? Like, even if you don't have a podcast? I mean, it almost sounds like this is what people should be trying to do just to mm. to learn how to reconnect as people again.
1: Oh, yeah. It's definitely the art of conversation and practicing it. I don't think anybody... I think, you know, it's certainly... There are. It's like saying, can anybody sing? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody can sing and after a few pints, I'm sure everybody will sing. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily mean they're a good singer, but you know, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. You should be excluded from it. I think everybody should try. And, but there are certain things that make you good at it and certain things you can get better at. I feel it helps to work on your story and write it, practice it, commit it, push it out on social, keep committing, keep testing in a very agile way.
0: How would you go about doing that? How would you go about developing those talking points that you would feel comfortable with, you can reliably fall back on? How mm. do you how do you start to distill down what it is that your story should be and what what you want to be the either the the go-to person for or, you know, Developing that arsenal of stories that you're comfortable telling well.
1: Mm, That's such a good question, Chris. And something we probably don't pay enough attention to. We may be aware of, you know, what do I talk about questions in our heads, right? But maybe we don't understand there's a science to it. I saw, there's a great picture on the internet of Jerry Seinfeld sitting on the floor and he's surrounded by all these yellow post-it notes or what looks like post-it notes. And I, you know, there's a caption and it says something like, you know, 12,000 of them. And those post-it notes are his jokes and he's collected every single joke since he started and he put them in, you know, in, you can imagine in the seventies, it wasn't on the phone. It was in like a, one of those Rolodex. Yeah. Boxes. Yeah with the flashcards and collected them. And that, if you ask me, how do you get good at it? That's it. You've got to treat this like science. You've got to, just as if you would if you were building a funnel in internet marketing or a newsletter, you have to approach this in a scientific way, which is your content at the beginning is going to be very messy. You don't know what works and what doesn't work. And maybe you kind of have a feeling for what works and what doesn't work, but you don't really know. And the only way to find out is to test. So you get on a podcast and you test your material and you find out what worked and what doesn't work, and then you keep a note of it. You know, document this stuff. Write it for yourself, right? Not necessarily for anybody else. You know, work on those scenes, like treat... Treat your content as scenes, which is that everything has a natural beginning and an end. Just as you would telling a joke or telling a story, or if you're writing a book, you know, everything is broken down into scenes, so treat things as scenes. So you test that scene. Did it work? Did people get it? Is the ending good? Was the ending strong? And once you start doing that, you build effectively these bricks, which are like scenes, which becomes your content. Okay. These ones work. These ones don't work. And then you can easily construct scenes and tell stories. So when somebody asks you, hey, tell me about that time that you sold your business and traveled the world, you know, I'm not now searching in my head for answers. Yeah. You know, I, I've got a good idea of that story so I can do it in this way. Maybe if the podcast host is very prescriptive, a how-to type podcast, you can do it in that format, or if it's sort of focused on how I did this type stories. You can do it in that style. So treat it in a scientific way. Keep testing in a very agile way. And the only real answer to that is practice. That's how you get good at it. I know it sounds a little bit trite, but really that is the answer. It's putting in the hours. People don't see that. They want the shortcuts.
0: I think that's the way that most things are though. Like everybody says that they want a shortcut to get better at something, but it just doesn't happen. If you're not going to if you're not going to get on a microphone and talk about something, you're not going to get good at speaking on a microphone, right? Yeah. And
1: there's a really important part of that Chris which is failure. That you could put in the hours without any failure. A good example, I was a if you go way back to the 90s, I was a, an English teacher in Japan. You know, I wanted to go out and explore the world, so I taught English. And I was teaching students and a part of that was you going to schools and you would see them teach English. And the interesting thing was that your average Japanese student could do 10 years of English, come out of school or university, and not speak a single word. And you ask, what on earth happened there? And the answer is because they didn't face any failure. You know, they did 10 years, all they did was read out of a book, practice, repeat practice. But what they didn't do, they never walked into a store, they never walked up to a foreigner and said, hey, can I talk to you? Or ordered food, and you know, like what it's like ordering food. You feel like the if you get it wrong, the hole in the ground is going to open up and you're going to fall in it. Right? Oh,
0: I still feel like that sometimes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's why people go to McDonald's <laughs> or Starbucks, right? Oh, yeah, I'm just gonna, yeah, I don't feel like I'm going to be adventurous today. Right? Well,
0: even at some of those restaurants, if I haven't been there before and uh, you pull into the drive through and they're like, what do you want? I, I no, I haven't seen <laughs> the, the menu until I just got here. Like, I have no idea what you have.
1: That's human nature, Chris, right? We're scared of making mistakes, but only by confronting those fears do we get comfortable with it. And the small things like ordering food are not fatal, right? And if you learn to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, you can achieve some amazing things because everything that's amazing lies on the other side of fear, And that's why you could spend 10 years learning English in a school and still not be able to converse. And similarly, you could spend 10 years tweeting and posting on Facebook or LinkedIn and not build a personal brand or a story because it's all happening within that comfort zone. Right? And the only way, like 10 years inside the comfort zone versus 10 hours outside of it, the guy who does the 10 hours is going to be so much better. And that's the key here is that yes. We all face it, but some of us choose to step over the line. And it's only there that you get better, that you can make progress, right? All right. And that's the key here is you've got to commit to
0: failure. So if somebody wants to start being a guest on other podcasts, they want to start dipping that toe in and getting those experiences, Podcast Guesting Pro is a podcast that you have released about this. You also have the podcastguesting.pro Pro website which is a company yeah what what are some of the first couple steps that someone should take when they're looking to be a guest on another podcast what are things that they should be keeping in mind or trying to look out for Mm. i know podcast guesting pro the company like that's what you do is you find podcasts for people to be guests on but if they were if they were trying to do it on their own what would you what would you tell them to try and try and do
1: yeah. I mean if they were doing it with us or on their own, the advice would be more or less the same. The first starting point is develop your talking points. You know, write down five, maybe six maximum bullet points of what you can talk about. And in particular, the you know, that starts with who your audience is. The the first point with all of this, the starting point is who am I talking to? And I find that a lot of people go into podcasting and guesting and not know who their audience is. And that's such a waste because only when you know the audience can you really speak to their pain and then understand what it is that they want to hear. It's always got to be about the audience. You know, in this conversation there are three people, right? There's Graham, there's Chris, and there's the listener, the audience, right? We have to consider it from that perspective. It's not about me. It's about them and um, their challenges, and Chris, you're the guide, you're asking the questions, you're, you're, you're asking the questions on behalf of the audience, right? Because they're not actually physically here asking. So you should always start by defining your audience avatar. And this came to me, years of working in podcasts, I eventually came across somebody who had the good fortune of working with somebody who had a lot of experience in radio. And he said to me, Look, you know, all you podcasters, what the one thing that you get wrong is that you always say, you guys, or everybody out there. He said in radio, we never would have got away with that. We always <laughs> say you. And you know, radio has been around for a hundred years. And it's always been I'm probably guilty of that. We all do it. It's natural. Like, we watch YouTube and it's hey guys, hey you guys. Hey, we welcome back it, to the right?
0: channel. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We all do it. But what radio has done successfully, and the reason why it's been, despite being called a sunset industry, the reason why it's been around 100 years is because they know how to talk to you. They know who that person is. And this guy who worked in radio, he said, I, when I started as a, a rookie in radio, my boss, who was like this grizzled old grey-haired radio hand, he said, he, he took this photo of a listener that a listener had sent to this new guy and he said he cut it out and he stuck it on the microphone. He said, every time you go on air, I want you to speak to her. And he said that was probably the best piece of advice he'd received in radio in 20 years, right? And I think about that all the time now with podcasting is that speak to that person, their name specifically. So advice for starting podcast guessing, whether you work with me or work with somebody else, is always to find the audience avatar. I want to know their name. He, she, whatever it is. You know, what's their drivers? What are their pain points? Why do they listen to you? What do they get upset about? And that's so important because once you humanize the audience, you can speak to that emotional level, what they're going to connect with you on.
0: When you were starting to put together the podcast, Guesting Pro podcast, which as you said, is a a mini series that you, you put out a set number of episodes. I think there's maybe 12 episodes, something like that. How far in advance are you planning those out like are you are you scripting out the whole thing? are you writing outlines for the episodes? do you have uh, a, mm. like an overall story that you're trying to tell across the whole twelve what what's the planning process look like for something like that
1: a bit of all of those I feel as you get better as you get more professional you have to do that part of it is you know We go into podcasts and say, this is what I want to talk about. I really feel like this is what I want to share. And that works up to, you know, maybe five or six episodes. And then you're hit with the pod fade, which is, okay, I'm not getting responses from the audience now. You know, I'm going to power my way through this thing. And, you know, eventually a lot, you know, if you look at the numbers, 40% of podcasts, only 40% of the 5 million podcasts in circulation are active, right? And the reason why is because it's, for a lot of people, a passion project. But, you know, again, you have to kind of use the data here. And data can be, you know, the hard data, like, for example, what are people actually searching for? What are the keywords? And remember, by the way, that the number one discovery tool for podcasts is not Spotify or Apple, it's Google. So people are Googling stuff, right? And that's really important because if you want to grow an audience organically, you have to rely on the jet stream that is you know, Google search or you know, the algorithm on Spotify and Apple. You have to rely on the fact that they're going to serve you or keep the audience growing beyond your immediate asks, your sort of first concentric circle, right? So the key here is that when you plan it out is to be mindful of what people want to hear what the audience wants to hear. So obviously SEO keyword searches that are important to your industry, but also, you know, talking to the audience. Um, You know, in my team, I have people who work in business development on a daily basis, and they'll tell me what the pain points are. These are the questions that clients ask. Account managers, speak to your account managers and say, what are the pain points that clients have? And then the way they word them is important because they become podcast titles, episode titles, right? Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do here, Chris, is we're trying to make it about what the audience wants as opposed to what I can talk about. You know, there's a gap here. Of course, they meet in the middle. So a key part of the planning is being scientific about it because, yes, you can get to so far just through motivation, just power your way through. But after a point, you're going to want, to grow this thing, and you're going to want to get feedback and build a community around it, right? So you have to speak their language and you have to know what the buttons are to push that people are interested in. I think that's a big part of planning that people tend to overlook. You know, they just start out and say, these are the six episodes I want to talk about. Well, that's fine. But, you know, all this content has to be newsworthy. It has to resonate with what people are interested in right now.
0: So, for the podcast guesting pro, did you take a, a reading of how things were going during production, or like did you do all 12 uh, episodes before they were released?
1: Yeah, in that one, uh, we pretty much had all the content mapped out before we started.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it, that obviously is a lot easier to do. If you know your content, you could plan it. Bucket it, you know, these are the, maybe these are the six episodes I can talk easily about that we have content on and maybe these six, we need a bit more work. But, you know, that's an important part of the planning process is to separate production and publishing. I think once you can, a lot of people are sort of doing the same thing at the same time. You know, they're, they're thinking of the next one only. And the better you get at it, the more you can kind of separate these two workflows such that you may be planning out three, four months down the line. And that helps as well, a big part of it. You know, Chris, what I see a lot of podcast hosts miss is the opportunity to get their audience to listen to other episodes. And there's there's two parts to that. One is creating this overarching narrative, which you've mentioned, you know, have this sort of bigger theme that people can work on and, and sort of follow through on this journey. Okay, you're taking me on this journey and next episode going to take me a bit further and so on and so on. And then the other op- option is, you know, go back and listen to episode 15, where we talked about, you know, monetizing a podcast, right? Not, not a simple, you know, mid-roll readout, but where you may sink in very naturally this conversation with other episodes. So I feel that that is a miss because growing a podcast and planning it is like, running a restaurant it's very easy to get people to fill the seats on a friday night saturday night sunday afternoon any restaurant can do that anywhere in town but where the money's made and where successful restaurants are made is those that can fill people on tuesday afternoon or wednesday night and those people that, that come on tuesday afternoon or wednesday night are the ones that came on friday and saturday and brought their friends and that's how you grow a restaurant and that's how you also grow a podcast is by not necessarily constantly hustling for new listeners, but getting your existing listeners to come back. And if you can do that, Spotify and Apple will look at your numbers favorably. They'll say, oh, you know, if you can get somebody to listen to four episodes and this podcast I only gets somebody to listen to one and they're gone, then I'm going to promote the one that has four right. on Right. The listener numbers, right? And this is really important because then they're going to promote your podcast and generate more organic traffic for you.
0: I've heard on your podcast, Guest Pro, that you have a database with hundreds of thousands of podcasts in it with various data points about each of the shows. So obviously you're you're aware of data in podcasting and, and we're kind of talking about it a little bit now. Do you use any kind of data about your listeners to decide on what types of podcasts to make? Are there any key indicators that you're looking at when you're trying to plan out some of these, some of these series?
1: Hmm. From the host perspective, data is very important. We tend to only, as an industry, obsess about audience numbers generally because that's the only reliable data that we have but you can do a lot with data and this comes back to experimenting what you can do is you with with the data that you get on your podcast and i advise all hosts to do this and we do this for our clients as well is use the data to identify three things one is content themes because you can look back over your data and see which content worked and you have a gut instinct on what might work but actually the data is telling you and anybody that's done any kind of paper click or internet marketing will understand that why data often calls out the bs you know we're blindsided by our own convictions and thoughts about what works but the reality is there so use it to identify content themes you know maybe talking about this issue got you more audience now that's only one data point. It might not be the reason why that was a popular episode. It may be because the guest promoted it. It may be because of timing. Who knows? There's a number of variables there. Right. The second factor is format and host engagement. You may find that different formats work in different ways. And same with, if you've got multiple hosts, same. Same with guests as well. They're what you identify. Look at, for example, your engagement numbers. Now, you can get this from Spotify and Apple. They have different kind of levels. They're not great in terms of engagement numbers, but look for a podcast market fit, which is basically where, you know, we have different metrics for this, but roughly where two thirds of your audience listen to two thirds of the episode. That's a good fit. Now, there's a sliding scale. You can change those numbers, but roughly it means that this is a good podcast in terms of engagement. So, the reason why that's engaging, number of factors could simply be the guest, the host chemistry, it could be the content, whatever. It could be, oh, this was a 12 minute as opposed to 120 minute. Who knows? But all you're trying to do here is you're trying to identify the avatar, the playbook of what works. You know, what's the cookie cutter of a successful podcast? There may be five or six different input variables from the data. Without analyzing each and every one, you can just say, we know that this one works. And therefore, let's do more like that. And then the last part with the data, that this is particularly important if you have a global podcast, which is identify audience niches. So for example, we had one financial services podcast. And from the data, we identified that they had specific niches in in languages and they took their English podcast, and then they did a Mandarin Chinese and then a German version of it. And what was interesting, you could actually see that from the data. You could see, for example, when they did a Chinese podcast in the main English channel, they had very low audience numbers because obviously people are skipping it. Yeah, But they had very high engagement levels, which was interesting. It basically said that not everybody's interested in it, but those that are interested in it are very interested in it. Right? Yeah. So you know, if you took your quadrant, if you like, map it out, it would be sort of, you know, high engagement, low audience. And so you could use your data for these kind of insights. You could certainly do it with content. You know, you could, for example, if you did one, like we found with one client, doing um content about blockchain at the time or precious metals, for example, similar kind of data points. And that then leads to potential action, which is, okay, do we do more of this? Do we do a sub-series? Do we break this out as as its own podcast? And so that's where you become data-driven, is you're using the data to tell you what the audience is doing, not what you feel and think. And I I feel the big challenge, Chris, with a lot of podcast hosts is they spend too much time working in the podcast and not on it
0: hmm Yeah, I've heard that before.
1: Yeah, they're too sort of into the next guest, the next... And they, they rely too much on the guest. You know, the guests are very small in terms of contribution to the overall audience growth. You know, that's the reality, is that they, they won't really help promote that podcast because, yeah, they've got access to new audiences, but it's all about your audience and growing them. So I think that's the, the key here, is that the more time you can spend working on the podcast identifying numbers, doing it methodically, the more times you can get insights and you can help drive growth long-term.
0: Graham, this has been a super interesting conversation for me. I think there's a, a ton of really good pieces of information in here. And you know, I, I greatly appreciate you coming on and, and speaking with me about all of this. We are kind of running into a time buffer again, so I'm going to start wrapping up just a little bit. What is one of the most important lessons that you've learned about podcasting since you started?
1: Mm -hmm. One lesson, or one of. One of, Um, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) there's more. I just think, you know, what I've discovered, Chris, is that most people see podcasts as a content problem. You know, how do I create content? How do I make the best content? And yes, you need content, but I don't see podcasts as a content problem. I see podcasts as a communication problem. And once you start looking at it from that perspective, you see podcasts differently, which is this is not about content. This is about communication. You know, in the same way, if you're working with corporates or clients, they don't have a podcast problem so let's not sell them podcasts right that's the key is that they have a communication problem which is that they struggle with thought leadership just like anybody you know how do i become a thought leader in this very attention stretched world you know we don't have captive audiences anymore both internally within companies and externally with our communities and that's the Difference between approaching it as content, which is create content, market the content, as opposed to communication, which is like, how do I grow this? How do I connect? How do I create a community around these conversations that matter? And how do I create that connection, which is what people really need? It is a small change at the top end, but the bottom end, in terms of the outcomes, once you start viewing podcasts as communication, as opposed to content. It will change everything that you do about it, how you view the numbers, how you think about the guests and the conversations that you're going to talk about, and ultimately the reasons why you're doing it.
0: You have clearly spent a lot of time thinking about these things and this industry, this medium. Where can people find you if they want to find out more about what you have to say about podcasting or or anything else that you're working on?
1: Yeah, go to pickle.com, which is P I K K a L.com. It's like Apple, Google pickle. That is a good starting point. Jumping off point. If you want to find out more about corporate podcasts, you want to find out more about podcast guesting. There's all that. There's a whole bunch of information, articles, free downloads. There's a few guides if you want to grab those and, get up to speed on any of those subjects above. and recommend that as a starting point.
0: Fantastic. Well, Graham, thank you so much for coming on Who Makes a Podcast with me. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. And what a great series as well. And thanks for inviting me, Chris, and for being such a generous host.
0: That was my conversation with Graham Brown world-traveling storyteller, author, and entrepreneur, founder of Pickle & Co., and host of a number of podcasts, including Podcast Guesting Pro, which can be found on all of the major podcast networks. You can also find Graham at pickle.com, P-I-K-K-A-L.com. My name is Chris Cookley, and you can find me at whomakesapodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be an enormous help if you shared it with your friends and subscribe wherever you're listening right now. I would really appreciate it. And if you host a podcast, you'd like to be my next guest on Who Makes a Podcast, please let me know. Go to whomakesapodcast.com slash guest and tell me about your show. This is Who Makes a Podcast. I'll be back next time with another conversation with another Incredible podcast host. Thanks for listening.